0: Welcome to the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. It is Friday, July 6th, Friday. yay A lot of stuff going on in the world of sports. Uh, do not Do you consider this a 4th of July weekend? Uh, I, I guess it is. That's the one thing that kind of stinks about having the holiday on, uh, on a Wednesday. I hope you all had a, a good holiday. Of course, the previous two episodes were pre-recorded, so I didn't get to talk to you all really yesterday. But I hope y'all enjoyed the, the discussion I had with Nick Halper. As I said, it went longer than I thought it did, so I decided just to split it up into, into two parts, one about the NFL and then one about the other stuff that we talked about. So I hope that y'all enjoyed having Nick on the on the podcast. He will definitely be back uh, at a later date. But I, myself, am back, just me, today on this Friday, July 6th. Not a very nice day here in in New Jersey. Woke up to the sound of heavy rain. It's just been cloudy uh, all day but always a lot of fun in the Royal of sports gonna talk about s- several things today there's a couple things I want to talk about with the with the NBA one thing I want to talk about the NHL we're also going to talk a little NFL because there's always time to talk about the NFL no matter what month it is and then we're going to finally end the podcast with NASCAR I always end the podcast with with NASCAR because I know it's kind of a very Niche sports, so I know that not everybody enjoys it. So I put it at the end. That way, in case you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to. And if you do want to hear about it, you want to hear my thoughts, then you know more power to you. I really do appreciate that. Uh, just uh, a couple reminders: you can find this podcast on currently six different services. We're working on getting it on some more, but as of right now, you can find it on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker. Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can just go to my anchor page at anchor.fm slash Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast to see all the current services that my podcast is hosted on. You can also visit my newly redesigned website at ryanwaldis.com for any updates on me and connect with me on social media at Ryan Waldis, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. would love to connect with you, talk with you about sports or, or whatever really. Uh, really would love to have some, some interaction, but we're finally going to get into the the podcast today, and we're going to start in the NBA. So there were reports that came out yesterday that are really interesting about the the Kawhi Leonard uh, situation. So these were from uh, Michael C. Wright, a very reputable uh, basketball source, and this was it was originally posted on Reddit, and then there was a redditor uh, by the name of Young Taxpayer who who kind of. Uh, simplified everything down because this was it, it was reported in podcast form. And so young taxpayer said uh, he he simplified everything in case people for one reason or another were not able to listen to the podcast. Now, if you are able to, I definitely recommend listening to it at, at some point. But uh, it, there was uh, a lot of stuff that people did did not know uh, about the situation. So as young Pax taxpayer, uh, writes out as I guess you could say he transcribe the podcast, which is which is pretty neat. Um, so there was a point. It, this all really started uh, a few years ago. So they were at the All Star Game. Um, this is when the All Star Game was in was in New Orleans. Uh, and they, Kawhi and his group, of course, his group uh, includes his his uncle Dennis. Um, he he plays a very big part in this. So hold on about that. So his group, they're at the hotel um, before the game. Um, so the Spurs the spur security staff nicely tells them, all right, yo, we got to get out of here by this time so we can you know be on time for the game. Uh, so normally, I think normal people would be like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Uh, but. Uncle Dennis um, is this isn't it? He says, Nah, we're not doing that. This is when we're gonna leave. Um, so, immediately, there's a red flag right there. Uh, so, not wanting to upset Kawhi or his camp, they say, All right, well, we'll leave when you guys want to leave. So, naturally, they leave um, when Uncle Dennis said they wanted to go, and then they get stuck. In, in a lot of traffic, a block away from the hotel. Uh, so it got to the point where they had to get Kawhi actually out of the car, put a hood over his head, and he had to walk to the arena from the hotel. Now, I don't know the logistics of New Orleans. I don't know how close the hotel was to the arena. I imagine it was close enough since uh, he was able to walk there. But uh, but instead, I think it's funny because uh, according to, to Michael C. Wright, Uh, Uncle Dennis thinks the the Spurs are too controlling, which I think is a little weird because as we get more into this report, it'll seem like he he definitely has a bit of a control issue. Now, the big thing, uh, especially in relation to the past season, uh, started on August 8th. So the Spurs were nice enough to give Kawhi uh, and his camp complete control of his rehab on August 8th. So from August 8th on, they had nothing to do with the rehab. That was all up to Kawhi and his camp now in hindsight. Uh, the organization probably wishes they had not done that because this is really when everything, it seems like, started going to, to complete shit. Uh, the rehab was controlled by Kawhi's own doctors, not the doctors of the team. Uh, and the Spurs had absolutely no say in his rehab process uh, at all. Which I think is a little odd um, when it comes to your your best player and uh, a star uh, in the NBA, one of the best players in the NBA. Now, Michael C. Wright points out, makes a good point, which I agree with. He says he thinks the Spurs are too accommodating to Kawhi and his group, which is why all of this happened. Uh, supposedly, Michael C. Wright's theory is this: uh, He says that Kawhi realized he was a star in the league and wanted to be treated as such. And in the words of Michael C. Wright, Spurs gave him an inch, and Kawhi took a mile, which is really weird because the 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 cloud around Kawhi his entire time in the in the NBA has been, oh, this guy's just really humble. He's down to earth. He doesn't say too much. He just lets his his play on the court do the talking. He's the one of the nicest guys you could meet. This, that, and the other. And so it seems weird that Kawhi would try to, to take advantage uh, of something like this. Now, there's Michael Seawright believes that uh, the Spurs, if they offer him the Supermax, uh, that organization thinks he would re-sign. Uh, the problem, especially after all of this has happened, is that the, the, the people, the higher-ups in the Spurs organization... They it's not that necessarily that they don't trust Kawhi. It's that they they don't trust the people around Kawhi. And I imagine the number one guy they don't trust is, is Uncle Dennis. And a couple of people have used this comparison. I agree with it. It seems like at this point, Uncle Dennis, I almost say he's a worse version of Levar Ball. So you know how Levar is always he's been you know very flamboyant. Um, after, you know, his, his son Lonzo kind of got into the spotlight. LeVar has been right there. He said some really crazy things. I almost think uncle Dennis is, is worse. And we'll see why in a second, uh, in the Spurs. And to their point, to this point, I really think that this is, they need to do this at some point. They said they want to get Kawhi in a room alone. No, no uncle Dennis, no one from Kawhi's camp, just Kawhi. And I think this is, this is perfect because you, you you're probably wondering the same as I am why this wackadoodle, uh in, in Uncle Dennis it, it seem, it's it seems like he's pushing for things that maybe Kawhi would not want, you know. Now to the other point, you got be wondering as well as I am why Kawhi can't just come out and issue a public statement. If he issued a public statement about anything then I think this this situation isn't as bad as it currently is. But it's gotten to the point now where Kawhi, he's not saying anything. It's all the reports are, oh, well, this is what his camp wants. It can only assume that the camp is is Uncle Dennis. So I, I agree. I, there's, I kind of subscribe to the theory that it, a lot of this stuff that's going on, Kawhi doesn't want, but because Uncle Dennis wants it, and obviously everyone knows the story about Kawhi uh, and his father and how Uncle Dennis kind of came in and he was the father figure – so I, I, I kind of subscribe to the notion that because of that, Kawhi respects Uncle Dennis a lot. And so maybe his mind is is a little clouded when it comes to Uncle Dennis. And so he thinks that if Uncle Dennis is saying that it's a good idea, then he's like, okay, fine, whatever, go for it. But I really, really, truly believe, um, and I'd, I'd really love to hear the, the results about if Kawhi was in a room j- alone, nobody else alone with the Spurs executives, because I I really do feel like Kawhi does not want any of this. Like, we're hearing uh, reports about, oh, their the relationship is irreparable, this, that, and the other. I find that very hard to believe. I, I feel like, you know, it's Kawhi, um, it's, I, I don't know, it just seems a little odd based on what Kawhi has been the, the previous years before this past season occurred. Uh, n- another thing relating to this, apparently the Spurs were get a call from Uncle Dennis. And once again, uh, love Uncle Dennis. Uh, he, apparently he would say that, oh, Kawhi wants this and that. But because Kawhi never said anything, uh, the Spurs never knew if it was really Kawhi's wishes uh, or Uncle Dennis's wishes. Uh, a- another thing that Michael C. Wright said, the Spurs don't believe that his uncle has his best interest at heart. And but once again, as I said, but he but know that his uncle means a lot to him, and I think that's why maybe his mind is is getting a little clouded. Uh, now there was obviously reports throughout the season that Kawhi's teammates were kind of getting a little frustrated to the point where uh, there was that report, I guess a week or so ago, where. It, it was like, oh, well, the tipping point was when Tony Parker said, well, my quad injury was a 1,000 times worse. And out of context, that sounded really bad. If you actually looked at the quote in context, it was fine. But apparently that was the tipping point. And uh, according to to Wright, the reason Kawhi's teammates were frustrated and called a team meeting was because Kawhi's group, so they kept throwing out all these different return dates throughout the season. And obviously that day would come and Kawhi's still not playing. And then the next day would come. And he's still not playing. And then they throw out another return day. He, you know, he, he, and he's still not playing. So that's why they kind of got a little frustrated. Uh, and then there was something really interesting that I didn't know. So Kawhi told the organization he would be back for a game on March 19th. This was against the Pelicans. Uh, it was also picture day, which obviously is a pretty big day. So he showed up for the pictures. He took the pictures. And, and as soon as they started the pregame shoot around, he left. Uh, the night after the game, that's when they had uh, the team meeting, um, and that was two days later. That's when Kawhi uh, left San Antonio completely. That's when he went up to New York to, to see that doctor, and that's when he never came back to the, to the team. Um, and, of course, the, there was the report where the Spurs sent people out to try to talk to Kawhi, and Kawhi hid from them because he, he didn't want to, to talk to them. Uh, so apparently there was that trade request uh, in June. So this this is really important. So Wright talked to multiple people in the organization who were confident they could get Pop to sit down with Kawhi and iron everything out. Uh, unfortunately uh, and sadly, the death of Popovich's wife complicated things and it took a while for him to get the meeting with Kawhi. Now, surprisingly, Kawhi didn't want to meet with Popovich and did everything he would To avoid the meeting and that's when that that request report came out which I think is a little it it just doesn't seem like Kawhi uh Wright says people think he's he's exaggerating about Uncle Dennis being right is exaggerating about Uncle Dennis I really don't think that's that's the case it seems like Uncle Dennis and obviously I do I know Uncle Dennis no do I know Kawhi personally no it it just seems like based on what we knew about Kawhi before this season, it, it I don't know it seems like Uncle Dennis is, is has a really negative aspect, uh, is a really negative aspect in 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 Kawhi's life, and then there was a report. Um, also, this was also something that someone on Reddit uh, drew up. Drew up. Uh, this was from the Reddit user Pizza Crave. I could really go for some pizza right now, to be honest with you. It's that Kawhi's agency, Impact Sports. So, Uncle Dennis uh, and his mom, uh, Kawhi's mom, were on their payroll for five years without the knowledge of Kawhi's original agent. And I believe his agent was, Br- yeah, his agent was Brian Elvis. Uh, that agent has since been removed from the agency, and he's suing the agency. For for withholding his commission, so uh, uh, once again another huge red flag. It's just th- this entire situation is is it's it's hard to put into words how odd this is because it's it's been said before, but it's really true. If there was one guy in the league who you said, oh yeah, this nothing no no issues or scandals or anything would ever happen to this guy, it would have been Kawhi. But then this entire situation happens, and, and now it's... I, I, I'm I going to get it to in a second. Part of me feels bad because now he's being painted in this negative light when, in reality, it might not even be him. Now, if I'm a general manager, and I, I kind of come at this from a, a Sixers fan standpoint because we've been rumored to, to maybe trade for him, I'm worried about this guy. I'm very... Until... He, until you know he issues a public statement just by himself. Until he goes into a meeting just by himself, I I don't know what Kawhi wants. I don't know what Kawhi doesn't want. I don't know how much of a role Uncle Dennis is playing in all this. To be completely honest with you, I'd worry about trading him unless Uncle Dennis was no longer allowed to be near him. That's that's what would worry me. If Uncle Dennis continues to be near Kawhi. It's almost like Lavar being near Lonzo and that entire family, and obviously the Lakers put into you know put into effect into rule the Lavar rule um, late uh, in the season. So I would be really worried. Now my opinion about Kawhi, I gotta say it's it's changed for for sure. So Kawhi, I thought that he was like this really you know great player. Uh, all that's a guy you'd want to have in your team. Very humble, this that and the other. It's As I said, one part of me feels bad because he's being painted in a negative light and it doesn't seem like him. However, the other part of me doesn't feel bad because all this guy has to do is just release a public statement. He just has to, through whatever source he wants to, he has to go up to a podium or or something, release an article uh, on the Players' Tribune. I don't care what he does, but he has to release a public statement saying what he wants. He needs to clear the air and just say just a few things if he released a public statement i i think i'd be okay with it but it, the fact that he never talks like that's fine on the basketball court if you want to if you want to have that that you know that aura around you of all oh, this guy doesn't talk he's just all business on the court that's fine but you you got to talk at some point and and this is the point where he kind of i don't want to say man up because i don't think that's very respectful but he needs to he needs to really go deep down and and realize that he himself needs to talk about this to the general public. It can't be his camp. It can't be uncle Dennis. It can't be all these rumors that no one knows if they're true or not. It has to be him. So the Kawhi situation is right now, uh, I I think the best word to describe it would be clusterfuck. I think that's the, the best way to describe it. But Kawhi situation definitely bears watching as we, as we move on through the rest of the, of the NBA off season. The other thing I want to talk about with the NBA, uh, which is interesting, there was like a tell-all about LeBron James' time with the Cavaliers, which is interesting, and then it just came out about a week after he goes to to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so there were three people that contributed to this story, and once again, this was a podcast, and a Redditor by the name of M-Rilly, R-I-L-L-Y, uh, transcribed it, which is fantastic. Uh, it's what's allowing me to do this. Uh, so the three people were Dave McNaminen of ESPN, Joe Varden of Cleveland.com, and then Jason Lloyd of The Athletic. By the way, shameless plug, uh, I'm not getting paid to promote this or anything, but if you do have the the monetary uh, ability, definitely subscribe to The Athletic. I read it every morning when I wake up when I'm eating my breakfast and just throughout the day. There's a lot of excellent content on that site. I think it's $40 a year, but they do so many sales. It seems like they do them several times a month to where you can get it for cheaper. So if you don't have The Athletic yet, definitely check it out. Uh, it's, uh, it's been one of my favorite investments so far since I've since i had it. But uh, so there were notes from this podcast, as I said, they were transcribed by the Redditor that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so Varden and Mick Meneman. Mick Men yeah, okay, Mick Meneman. So they were notified. They don't know who it was. It was either LeBron's camp or the Cavs camp. Uh, before LeBron opted out, uh, the Lakers decision was pretty much a done deal, which as a Sixers fan, pisses me off because our executives flew all the way across the country, uh, but the Lakers thing was already a done deal. So that's, and I said that on the first podcast, if you don't think that LeBron had this decided before he went to his decision cave, you're, you're, you're a moron. Um, so immediately after the 2016 championship, someone important uh, in LeBron's camp told Varden that LeBron's next plan was to go to the Lakers to play with his friends, which is what I said. Because LeBron, despite how he's portrayed, he's a very smart guy. He doesn't just make these decisions on a whim. He I, I said this on Twitter. He's had this decided for a long time. And clearly... It's, I was right because it's immediately... This isn't even after the last finals. This is after the 2016 championship. So before the Warriors beat them again, this was two years ago, LeBron said that the plan was to go to the Lakers. So he had known this for two years that he wanted to go to Los Angeles. And that's that's part of the the thing from the podcast. The other really big thing from the podcast was this thing with Kyrie. Uh, so there's support that came out that... Uh, there was a point when LeBron was on the heat and Kyrie was still on the Cavaliers uh, and it was after a game and LeBron said, Hey, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You never know. I might be back here uh, to which Kawhi replied, something along the lines of, we don't need him here to do this, um, which is interesting because the Cavaliers don't win that championship without LeBron there, no matter what, but uh, Kyrie, supposedly he did not have strong relationships with, Within the Cavs organization, now, this was even before LeBron got there. After it, it just went completely to ship. But before LeBron got there, he still didn't have any strong relationships within the organization. Um, he didn't like Mike Brown because Larry Hughes, um, who was a client of Kyrie's agent, he already had a bad relationship with, with Mike Brown. There was also serious debate, which I think is really interesting, within the Cavs to choose Dion Waiters over Kyrie at, at some point. Uh, which uh, you look at that initially, like, really? Uh, y- you have to decide that, but you kind of understand it from from a standpoint. I don't think Waiters has ever gotten a chance to truly prove himself in this league. He, you know, he's been, you know, whether it's a bad situation or the injuries he suffered, I, I think that he can be a very solid player, but I kind of understand it from that viewpoint. But still, just, you know, from the base, like Kyrie versus Dion Waiters, uh, that shouldn't be a, a discussion. Then it gets into the Ty Lu thing. Uh, so Kyrie um, apparently did not like Lou very much, which I guess isn't too surprising. And this, this kind of escalated after Ty Lue uh, released a statement saying that the players need to put their brands aside. Uh, and what that meant was that guys like Kyrie, uh, they had to stop worrying about their endorsements and just trust LeBron to, to lead the team. And now what was interesting was that Ty Lue uh, said to McMenamin that Kyrie treated him like a stranger since day one and that it's impossible to break through to him. Now, I don't know uh, about you, but it, if I get a new head coach in, I'm not going to treat him like a stranger because like it or not, this is the guy that's going to be giving me the orders. And this is the guy that I have to have a good working relationship with at least early on. I'm not treating him like a stranger and it's I'm going to communicate with the guy whether I like it or not. So, I don't know, that, that paints Kyrie in kind of a negative light to me. Uh, the one thing, uh, Kyrie did not appreciate LeBron questions directed at him. Uh, I kind of agree with that. I imagine that if you're LeBron's teammate, that would kind of get annoying at some point. So I kind of uh, I agree with that. I would be upset uh, about that too. Uh, L- Lloyd, uh, Jason Lloyd, uh, apparently approached LeBron at the start of the 2017 season and said you and Kyrie hid the poor status of the relationship very well the past few years. Uh, and LeBron agreed. Now that wasn't the exact quote. Well, yeah. So that wasn't the exact quote. Lloyd cannot reveal what LeBron uh, said. He, LeBron didn't just say, "Yeah, I agree." But y- y- you figure Kyrie's tensions go back a while. So the fact that they hit it for that long, is pretty impressive. Um, a big reason why Kyrie wanted out of Cleveland last year, uh, according to the according to the podcast and this transcription. Uh, He felt the team was built to support LeBron's strengths. And if LeBron left, Kyrie would only be left with those parts that benefited LeBron's game. Kyrie also told the front office he would opt for surgery if they didn't trade him last year. That second part of that statement, we knew. But the first part of that statement is interesting. And I kind of, I agree with Kyrie to to that point. Because I think he had to have known that LeBron was going to leave, especially since LeBron had kind of considered this all the way going back to 2016, the summer of 2016. So, I, I think that Kawhi, I don't want to say he had the longest view in the room, but he kind of knew that this team, the way it was built right now, was built for LeBron to succeed. And I think that everyone would agree that if Kyrie was still in Cleveland, are they a playoff team, especially in the East? Yeah. They, do they get a three or a four seed? No. And the way LeBron built that team, it was so they could, it was the best way for LeBron to, to make the finals. Would Kyrie make the finals with the team the way it was built? No. And that's not to say that Kyrie isn't a good player, but he has a point to where it was built to LeBron's strengths and, and not his. Um, the flat earth thing, um, which I thought was shocking, it really bothered Kyrie. Uh, he said he didn't like it. He was receiving attention now instead of about more serious topics, political and social like LeBron. Um, so that's that's a little odd that the drama would bother Kyrie since not only did he just put that out there once, he always doubled down on it and said, oh no, I'm serious. Uh, and then we uh, w- something that was shocking. So he, Kyrie did not talk to any of his teammates between last year's Indiana and Toronto series, not even during practice. So imagine that one of your star players just comes in He doesn't give you a head nod, a wave. He doesn't say hello. He doesn't talk to you. He doesn't say anything during practice. He's not saying anything um, between those series, those two series, the Indiana-Toronto series. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. So I said I kind of agree with Kawhi with a couple of these things, or Kawhi Kyrie uh, with a couple of these things. That's where I don't agree with, and that's that's kind of being petty at, at that point. Now I want we're going back to LeBron now. Uh, the, this was, I don't know if this was a direct quote, but the reporter said that the most dejected they'd ever seen LeBron was after the, the game six finals in, in 2015. Now, apparently, according to these guys, he sat at his locker for about an hour with just a towel hanging over his head. The second most dejected was this year after game one, he kind of, because you have to remember at this point, so they had just won two game sevens to get to this situation He hit two buzzer beaters. He beat higher seeds since the Cavs were a four seed. Uh, He beat, obviously, the Celtics, and he beat the Raptors in back-to-back rounds. He, with a new team around him, now granted, this was the team that he wanted. uh, He didn't have Kyrie. He scored 51 against the Warriors. The reporters said that that was the second most ejected he had ever been. And at that point, all the year, went out of him. Now there was the report that he had the hand injury over the final three games because he hit a whiteboard. He didn't just hit it once. Apparently he hit it several times. Um, and it's that, that was, if you want to hear more, definitely listen to the, uh, to the podcast, um, that these three, uh, writers have done the beat writers for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I think it's really interesting that, that, that tell all story kind of came out now, as I said, I kind of agree with Kyrie about a lot, uh, but on the other end of it, it seems like he did a lot of things that if I was a Cleveland Cavalier, I probably wouldn't want him to be my teammate. And so I don't know. Uh, it seems like he's doing fine in, in Boston, although now it seems like he wants to test free agency and there's rumors that he wants to go to the Knicks or something. I don't know why he would want to do that, uh, especially you have arguably the best coach and if not the best then definitely one of the best in the NBA and Brad Stevens. You have so much young talent on that team. It just it boggles my mind why you'd want to go to the Knicks uh, and not play with the talent that you have, but a lot of you know not a lot of free agency news uh, in the NBA, but a lot of uh, rumors and tell-all stories uh, over the past couple of days, which has been really interesting to to say the least. I want to transition into the NHL now. We'll probably hit on the NBA again. When we come back on Monday, the NHL thing, Eric Carlson update. So it w- there was late last night, uh, TSN Simmer, um, the guy who works at uh, TSN 1200 up in Canada. He said, uh, and I quote on Twitter: "My NHL sources tell me a Carlson deal to Tampa is done, pending a call with the league office." Um, so uh, at that point, everyone was like, "Whoa, is Tampa actually really did it," uh, and to. To that point, uh, it seemed like about 15 to 30 minutes later, there were reports coming out. I know Friedman was one of the guys that said it. He said, I'm getting denials about a trade. We just have to wait and see what happens. Then it got to the point where, oh, yeah, there was never any trade agreed to, uh, which is odd because Simmer... Uh, is usually very reliable uh, about stuff like this. And it, is he wrong? You know, maybe he's not wrong. Because you get into it, there was rumors th- all throughout the day. So Don Brennan of the Ottawa Sun said that he has a source who, quote, has a great batting average, says he feels very comfortable that with that source that tells him Carlson will be traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, it didn't say today, but it said that he's very comfortable um, reporting the rumor that Carlson will be traded to Tampa Bay. Darren Dreger said Tampa Bay and Ottawa continue to work on Eric Carlson. And that's why I said on the podcast a few days ago, Tampa's probably up there uh, as the favorite team at, at this point. So Tampa Bay and Ottawa can work. Now they're probably going to need to do a three team trade as Dreger reports. He said that the Rangers may be involved as lightning need cap room. Uh, the Rangers are one of the, one of the teams um, that I've seen um, perhaps get involved as, as one of these third teams in a trade to kind of like help with the salaries. The other theory I've seen that I agree with is that the the one of the teams in the central division might get involved, and you wonder, well, why would that happen? Uh, the reason for that is that the Dallas Stars are in the in the central division. They're also pushing hard for for Eric Carlson, but at this point, they're not biting. Ottawa wants their top prospect. They're not biting, so. If you're in the Central, you don't know if you want to buy that bluff or not, but if you're in the Central, you definitely want to help out with a trade to prevent Eric Carlson from going to one of the teams in your division in the Dallas Stars. Now, it's the Central's already stacked. The last thing one of those teams needs is... Carlson going to the Stars and making that team even better than it already is. So if you're in the Central, you're definitely trying to help out. Uh, If you're maybe a Canadian team, you're trying to help out because you kind of want to spite the Toronto Maple Leafs after they just got Tavares. You're trying to help the Tampa Bay Lightning help them out. Um, And the Rangers, uh, obviously, they're not in the same division as Tampa Bay. Nobody in the Metro is. So, you know, they could definitely help out as well if they needed to. But there's definitely going to be a third uh, team involved in this trade. I don't know when it's going to happen. As a Flyers fan, I'm kind of hoping that they're pushing hard for for Carlson. I'm not going to lie. When I saw that the the initial report that, oh yeah, he'd been traded, my heart kind of dropped a little bit. But uh, the fact that it's not done yet leads me to believe that they still have just a little glimmer of a chance. And some people have said that, oh, well, I don't want to mortgage the future and give this guy money. He's going to, you know, we just got out of cap hell. I don't want to get back into it again. That's all well and good, but Carlson, um, at his best, is the best defenseman in the in the National Hockey League. So I'm more than fine, because we have a very deep prospect pool at this point. I'm very fine trading several of them and picks to, to try to get Eric Carlson into Philadelphia. Um, that would be great, especially since John Tavares kind of spited us uh, and did not give us a meeting, which Hextall requested. I'd be very fine getting Eric Carlson. You know, some people said they don't want to do that, but I am 100% for it. Uh, if that happens, I'd be happy. If it doesn't happen, I'm not gonna be upset. Obviously, uh, it's especially in a trade you can't control, you know what the opposing front office wants to do. But I definitely want them to to push for it. But Tampa Bay seems to be the team right now. Uh, if they're not Cup favorites already, of course they just had a 113 point season last year. If if they and of course they did not make the Stanley Cup finals, but if they're not the favorites now, they definitely would far and away maybe not be the favorites only be the favorites in the Eastern Conference, but be the favorites in the entire league. It's very hard to think of a, a team that's going to compete with the top six. That includes guys like Stamkos, Kucherov, Kalorn, Palat, guys like that, Point, Johnson. You have JT Miller, Sorelli, and Gord uh, on your third line, and then your fourth line of Conacher, Paquette, and Anderoff. And then you, you add Carlson to a defense that, keep in mind, this defense, it already has... Uh, Ryan McDonough and Victor Hedman. I imagine that they would have to trade Sergachev in this deal, so I'm not going to say that they have Sergachev. But right now, you figure they have Sergachev, Coburn, Strallman, McDonough, Girardi, and Hedman. You add Carlson into that mix, that's uh, it's the best defense, uh, the best defense core, you know, in, in hockey. And then you back that up with one of the best goalies in hockey, uh, who the guy who's going to be 24 very soon, Andre Vasilevsky, their first-round pick in 2012. That's, that's, the fav, that's the favorite to win the cup. I don't care what anyone says. That's, that's the favorite to, to win the cup in the NHL. But we'll have to keep eyes on that, keep tabs on that situation. It seemed like the deal was agreed upon last night. It wasn't, so the, the rumors will still be going on for, for quite some time. We'll see when they finally when they finally come to fruition, if they ever come to fruition. I know some people have joked, oh, this is going to go on until July 1st, 2019, when he becomes a free agent. We'll have to wait and see, but right now, Eric Carlson's still a member of the Ottawa Senators. Moving now to the National Football League. Always time to talk about the National Football League, Uh, even in July. uh, The playoff odds for at least Odd Shark were released yesterday. Um, All the 32 teams uh, had their odds released. So we're going to do this uh, three different ways. I want to talk about the top five, I want to talk about the bottom five, and then I want to talk about some of my more intriguing odds. So the top five was New England. They were at uh, minus 1,500. Pittsburgh was second at minus 550. Philadelphia and Minnesota were tied for their third best odds to make the playoffs at minus 260. And then the Rams um, finished up the top five at uh, minus 170. I think that that's definitely fair. You figure the Patriots, some people wonder why their odds are that much. It's, it's definitely fair. You look at their division, you have the Buffalo Bills, who their quarterback situation is between rookie Josh Allen and A.J. McCarron. So it's the Dolphins, they're, they're not going to do anything. The Jets, they're kind of building towards that, but they're not going to prevent the Patriots. The Patriots the Patriots could probably win nine games this year, and they would win that division. Um, and I'm not going to say they're going to win nine games. I'd say they'd win you know somewhere in the double, do- I'd say at least 11. But the Patriots could win nine games this year and win that division, no doubt about it. So the fact that their odds are that high, that much higher than the second-place team at Pittsburgh, uh, not too surprising. You look at Pittsburgh. I think the only team they have to compete with in that division um, right now is is Cleveland. I'm not sold on Baltimore with Joe Flacco. Now, if Lamar Jackson takes over, I'd be kind of, uh, I would maybe take Baltimore. Um, but with Joe Flacco under the helm, I'm not worried about them whatsoever. Uh, you figure they the Steelers, they have Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland. I think Cleveland is going to be an interesting team, so I'm going to get into that in a second. But I think Cleveland's an interesting team this year. Philadelphia, uh, as an Eagles fan, I'm not too surprised that they are tied for for third. Uh, you look at their division right now with Dallas, the Giants, and the Redskins. Everyone keeps saying, oh, watch out for the Giants. They could be this sneaky playoff team. It's I have trouble buying that. I know that they improved the offensive line. I know they bring in Saquon Barkley. It's just I have trouble believing that they're going to make that jump. I know people are saying, oh, worst the first. It's just I don't, I, I don't see it. I don't think Dallas is going to do much this year especially if they don't have any wide receivers you have to hope that Dak Prescott goes back to what he did a couple of years ago I know they have Zeke but it's you know that's 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 about it they have the offensive line they have Zeke but you know that's fine the Redskins they're you know they're they're semi intriguing but it's just they're not that impressive to to me uh, at least so I the Eagles they they should be able to take that division um, which is why their odds are the way they are. Minnesota at minus 260 is kind of interesting that they're probably going to have to compete with the Packers, especially with a healthy Aaron Rodgers back. But I think that the Vikings would probably, if they don't win the division, they would still definitely be one of the top two wildcard teams in the, in the NFC. So I can see why they're Roger like that. And then the Rams at 170, Uh, the NFC West is kind of, I don't want to say it's a joke, but it's, it's very, it's very weak. Um, You have the 49ers who have, apparently a top 10 quarterback at Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to have to wait to see how he plays. Um, But you have the 49ers out there with Kyle Shanahan leading the way. You have the Seahawks, who I think are really going to drop off this year. Uh, I love Russell Wilson. Uh, As I told Nick on the podcast a couple days ago, he is a top five quarterback. Um, I will defend that until the day I die. But he just has nothing around him, um, which is unfortunate. So I really feel like the Seahawks are definitely going to drop off this year and the cardinals uh they they have the quarterback of the future they have bradford um they have rosen um but that's you know it's they it's interesting i'm going to get into it in a second but apparently arizona people are not very high on them and it's it's when we get into the the bottom 5 discussion so buffalo uh is what 28 i think 27 or 28 i don't know so there were two teams tied at 450 that was the uh the threshold of the bottom 5 Buffalo was at plus 450 and Chicago is at plus 450. Uh, I don't think Chicago's going to make the playoffs. I think that they do take a step forward this year, uh, especially with Nagy and especially with Trubisky now um, in, his, in his second year. I think they take a step forward. Do I think they make the playoffs? No, um, but especially in that division, you know, hell no. But I think that they're on the right track. Um, they're rebuilding well. Uh, and I think that in the future, they will definitely be a playoff team again. Buffalo, plus 450, they're not making the playoffs no matter what. I'd be surprised if they win more than five games. And I'm, I'm going to do a big NFL preview. So I'm just saying what I feel like at this point. Could this change between now and the time I do my NFL preview? Yeah. But at this point in time, I, I find it hard to believe that the Bills are going to win more than five games. Sure, I know they went 9-7 and seven last year made the playoffs. There, There was that huge feel-good story. But I don't think it's going to happen uh, again. It definitely won't happen again, especially since Tyrod's not there. Um, if they win more than five games, I'd be shocked. Cleveland is at plus 600. Now, I'm going to get into them in a second. Miami is at plus 600, and the Jets are at plus 600, so the other two AFC East teams. Uh, it's it's weird to me that they have worse odds than the Bills. Uh, to be honest, I think that at least one of those two teams is going to be better than the Bills, if not both of them, uh, especially with Miami. They're getting Tannehill back and the Jets they, they have a solid quarterback situation. They have McCown. They have Teddy Bridgewater. They have Sam Darnold waiting in the wings. I think Darnold will definitely um, do better sitting on the bench this year. I feel like that would be the best thing for him. But as of right now, the Jets and the Dolphins and Cleveland all at plus 600. And then the team with the worst odds is the, is the Arizona Cardinals. They are at plus 800. Um, they have the worst odds per odd shark in the entire NFL. Uh, which is a little odd to me, um, just because you, you look at the team, I don't know if I'd say they have the, the worst odds. I guess you can kind of figure they're in a tough NFC, so I, I kind of do see it, but the team isn't awful. It's not great, but it's not awful, right? So you have Bradford and Rosen uh, at your quarterback position. That's that's a good combination. Is it Carson Palmer No, I think it's a shame because people kind of underrated Carson Palmer. The injury really screwed him, but when he was on with the Cardinals, he was one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. But you have Bradford and Rosen uh, and Glennon too, but hope that Glennon doesn't see the field. They're in your quarterback room. You obviously have David Johnson coming back from injury. That'll help. You still have Larry Fitzgerald, who even at close to 35 years of age is still getting it done. J.J. Nelson. You have Christian Kirk, who they drafted in the second round this year. They get Bryce Butler as a free agent. Uh, they also get Greg Little uh, as a free agent. He's probably not going to do uh, all that much. You have Chad Williams as your third-round pick from a season ago. So the the receiver the receiver room's kind of uh, it's I'd say it's semi intriguing. If if nothing else, your tight ends you have Jermaine Gresham uh, and rookie Seals Jones. The offensive line is definitely the uh, the big issue on on that line. They bring in Justin Pugh, You bring in Andre Smith. So at least forty percent of your offensive line is different. You have D.J. Humphreys, who was a first-round pick in 2015. You also have two other guys who were acquired in free agency in 2015, A.Q. Shipley and Mike Iapati. So the offensive line, I think it's improved from a season ago. I just need to see how much uh, it's improved. The the defense, of course, you have Kim Deach, who was their first-round pick in 2016, towards the end of that first round. Chandler Jones, who they acquired um, from New England a couple of years ago. He's obviously one of your... One of your big guys on defense, along with the Hassan Riddick, who came from Temple in the first round a season ago, Dione Buchanan, uh, who's a very good guy, Marcus Golden. You have Patrick Peterson still, obviously. Uh, Buddha Baker or Buddy Baker, excuse me. Uh, that was their second-round pick from Washington. He was, you know, really good uh, a season ago. You still have Antoine Bethea, um, and then you still have Phil Dawson and Andy Lee. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I would get their odds at plus 800. Would I place money on that team? Probably not. No, not at this point. But it's, I don't know. I feel like plus 800, it's just, it's a little too hot. I know, I know the, the, the old homage of, oh, well, Vegas knows. They definitely know more than we do. But I I I don't know. I, I don't know if I would put them at, at plus 800. That just seems a little too low for me. I, I think that they have a better chance than than a plus 800. But I want to get into the intriguing odds discussion. Um, for, for just, uh, a little bit here, um, we look at the team with the most extreme gods to me is Cleveland at plus 600. I really feel like Cleveland is going to surprise a lot of people this year. And obviously they just won 0-16 last year. So anything is going to be an improvement. I really feel like they're going to surprise a lot of people this year. And I really think it's going to be because of that quarterback room. So you have Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. Uh, as I said, I think that Baker probably sees the field first. That's what I feel like at this point. Now, that could change. But at this point, I think that is going to be Baker. And that's not to discount Tyrod. I'm, I've am i been a huge Tyrod guy, I think, uh, in the right situation. He's a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And I think he's going to do very well this year. You look at their running backs. You have Carlos Hyde, who they got uh, in free agency from San Francisco this year. You draft Nick Chubb from the University of Georgia uh, in the second round, a very high second round pick. Uh, and you bring back Duke Johnson Jr. Uh, as well. That's a nice one, two, three for your for your running backs, a nice rotation. Then the wide receivers, they are stacked, um, which has been a while since we've been able to say that. You have Josh Gordon, who as long as he's on the field, he's one of the best receivers in football. Corey Coleman, uh, I think uh, he was their first-round pick in 2016. Obviously, he's very well known for dropping that pass against the Steelers in Week 17 last year. Um, that probably would have helped Cleveland get the points on the board and win that game. Obviously, he dropped it. Uh, and they were not able to get that win, and they go 0-16. But Corey Coleman, I think he's a, a solid wide receiver. You bring in Jarvis Landry in a trade with Miami. I'm not as high on Jarvis Landry as a lot of people around the league. A lot of people around the league say, oh, this guy's a, one of the top wide receivers in the league. I don't know if I would go that far. Is he good? You know, yeah, He's a solid wide receiver. Is he one of the best in football? No, he's not even close. Um, but you bring him in, it helps build up the depth, if nothing else. The, the offensive line, you bring in Chris Hubbard. As a free agent from Pittsburgh, you also draft Austin Corbett in the second round this year from the uh, University of Nevada. You bring in another free agent and Donald Stevenson, who currently has a two-game suspension. He'll have to serve. He makes the team. You bring him in. You bring in another free agent, Greg Robinson, the, the first-round pick of Detroit, number two overall back in 2014, or St. Louis, excuse me, who went to Detroit. He did not do very well, so the Browns are going to give him, it seems like, one final chance. You also have Joel Batonio still there. You have J.C. Treader, Sean Coleman, and Kevin uh, Zeitler. Your special teams are, are pretty solid. Um, uh, aside from the, you know, the Gunners and all those guys, you have Zane Gonzalez and Matt Daves. The defense to me is especially very intriguing. You have Emmanuel Ogba. You have Miles Garrett as a couple of your as your a couple of your edge rushers. You have Ogunjobi. You have Travon Coley. And you look at your linebackers: Jamie Collins, Michael Kendricks comes over from Philadelphia as a free agent. They just signed him last month. You have Christian Kirksey. Uh, you look at your defensive backs, you have Demarius Randall, Jabril Peppers, who can really do a little bit of everything for that team, Denzel Ward. Uh, it's The team is going to be solid this year for, for sure. Uh, do they make the playoffs? Uh, I don't know, but at those plus 600 odds, they're really intriguing for me um, to maybe just place just a very small bet just to see what happens because I, I feel like they finish second in the AFC North at this point. That's my bold prediction, the Browns finish second. In the AFC North, I'm really into them this year. I really think they're going to surprise a lot of people. Tennessee at plus 165 is interesting. So of course, last year they finished second in the in the AFC South behind the Jaguars, who finished 10 and 10 and 6. You look at their team; is he going to depend on Marcus Mariota, their number two overall pick back in 2015. If he can stay healthy and take a step forward, the team's going to be competitive. Of course, you have your new first year head coach in in Mike Vrabel, who you get from Houston. They hired him in January, so you look at that. You have your 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 running back core in Derrick Henry. You get Dion Lewis from from free agency, and you still have David Fluellen, um, who came into the league several years ago. I really think Corey Davis is set to have an extremely good year this year. So you have him as one of your wide receivers. You have Rashard Matthews and Taewon Taylor. You also have Tajay Sharp, who you know could be worse. Delaney Walker, one of the most underappreciated guys in the entire league, one of the best tight ends for for sure. You have him at tight end then your offensive line, who statistically was one of the better ones in football last year, you have Taylor LeJuan, um coming back. Jack Conklin, he's currently questionable for week one because of his knee. Uh, that was their first round pick in 2016. You have Josh Klein, Ben Jones, and Quentin Spain uh, as well. You look at the defense, you have guys like a Benny Logan, who they signed from free agency this year, uh, originally with the Eagles and went to Kansas City, now he's with the, uh, the Titans. You have Jarrell Casey, uh, Wesley Woodyard. Uh, Rashawn Evans was their first-round pick from Alabama. They drafted him number 22 overall. You sell Brian Irakbo. Uh You look down now at their defensive backs. You get Kevin uh, Bird, their th- third-round pick in, in 2016 for Middle Tennessee. He was, I think, uh, a very solid last year for them. You bring in Malcolm Butler, a free agent from New England. You have Adaray Jackson, still one of their first-round picks from last year, and Logan Ryan, uh, another guy from New England. So I, I think the Titans definitely have a chance, uh, especially in that AFC South, to to get back into the playoffs. So that plus-165 mark, it's kind of intriguing to me a little bit. Uh, the third team on this list out of four, uh, Kansas City at plus-120. It's, it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it's his show now. You remember last year, the Chiefs finished 10-6 and six a game above the Chargers in that AFC West, and they went on to the, to the playoffs. Alex Smith isn't there anymore. Now it's all Patrick Mahomes, their first round pick who they traded up to get in 2017, they traded up to number 10 overall to get the big armed guy from Texas tech. So he'll be running the show. You have a nice running back core of Kareem Hunt, Spencer Ware uh, and Kerwin Williams, who they got as a free agent from Arizona. They also bring in Damian Williams as a free agent from Miami. Uh, their wide receivers, they get uh, Sammy Watkins in a trade with the ramps. I'm not a huge Sammy Watkins guy, but I think it improves that wide receiver core. And maybe he'll finally put it all together in Kansas city. Tyree Kill, uh, the speedster, a fifth-round pick in 2016. Uh, he's boomer bust, obviously, because of the way he plays. Chris Conley, Demarcus Robinson, DeAnthony Thomas, just a couple other wide receivers there. Travis Kelsey, uh, in the conversation, is the best tight end in, in football. You look at that offensive line, first-round pick Eric Fisher in 2013. You bring in Mitchell Schwartz as a agent from Cleveland a couple of years ago. Uh, Mitch Morris, Brian Witsman, and Laurent Duvernay tardif Harrison Butker, a uh, very solid kicker for them last year. As a rookie, he comes back, uh, and obviously Tyree Hill will be one of your returners. Defensively, they're 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 pretty solid as well. So that plus 120. I know they're going to be competing with the Chargers. Uh, I don't think they're going to comp- be competing with the Raiders or the the Broncos. I'm not high on the Raiders. I'm not high on the Broncos this year. So I think the only team they're competing with is the Chargers. So the plus 120. Um, it's I don't know it's I, I feel like the Chiefs can definitely make the playoffs again this year so the plus 120 is is intriguing and the final team I want to talk about is the Indianapolis Colts they are at plus 325 they finished four and 12 last year obviously Andrew Luck does not play at all but I feel like if he's healthy this team they have a shot if nothing else he's one of the few quarterbacks in the league where if you tell me he's going to be my starting quarterback I think that team wins at least nine games. Um, now obviously this is all dependent on if Andrew Luck starts week one and plays the entire season. If he does, then I think that they have a, they have at least a shot. Do I think that they make it? Probably not. No, but do they have a shot? Yeah. It's a much better shot than if you put out Jacoby Brissett and that's not a knock on Jacoby Brissett. It's just, I, would you rather have Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett? I'm taking Andrew Luck every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You have Marlon Mack. Robert Turbin was supposed to be one of the guys, but now he's going to have to serve a four-game suspension. You draft Naeem Hines from North Carolina State in the in the fourth round. You also draft Jordan Wilkins in the fifth round from Mississippi. Look at the wide receivers. You still have T.Y. Hilton, uh, who is 28 years old at this point. You signed Ryan Grant as a free agent from Washington. You draft Darius Fountain in the fifth round this year. You also bring in Cason Williams as a free agent from Cleveland. So you really kind of revamped that wide receiver core this year, tight end. You bring in Eric Ebron from Detroit. Uh, you have Jack Doyle, who was a solid tight end for them last year. Uh, you look at the offensive line. You draft an offensive lineman finally, which is great. You use actually your first two picks on offensive linemen. You bring in Quentin Nelson. You draft Braden Smith. You combine that with Andy, Anthony Costanzo and Ryan Kelly. And you bring in Austin Howard from Baltimore. That offensive line is looking a lot better than it has in recent years, so that will definitely help. yourself. Adam Vinatieri at 45 years old. Still kicking it, which is awesome. Uh, the defense is... You know I think the defense definitely they could they could look to improve you still have Malik Hooker um, you bring in Kamoko Ture who was their second round pick uh, this year from Rutgers You bring in Najee Good as a free agent from Philadelphia uh, this spring um, it's the team itself looks I think once they start to improve that defense uh, a little more um, uh, that team could definitely get back to where they once were um, and obviously just add some more pieces on offense but at plus 325, Indianapolis is very intriguing to me. And if Andrew Luck plays the entire year, if you tell me that he's going to play all 16 games, that team's very intriguing at plus 325. But that was just a little NFL odds discussion. Always time to talk about the NFL, uh, especially uh, in July as we are gearing up for, for training camp and preseason football in about a month or so. Definitely looking forward to it. But the final thing I want to talk about is NASCAR as I said in the first podcast I'm a NASCAR guy so uh, if you don't want to listen to NASCAR um, that's I completely understand you feel more than free to exit out right now thank you for listening to this point but we're going to talk about some NASCAR now so they are at Daytona International Speedway this Saturday so tomorrow it's at 7 p.m eastern on NBC it's one of the final nine races of the regular season as we uh, fight to complete this chase grid of 16 drivers. It's wide open because it's a super speedway, so, you know, the guys that aren't in maybe the best equipment, they have as much of a chance as the guys in the best equipment. And I want to talk about some stats that kind of support that theory as well as just some other stats. Um, these come from Chris Myers of, of Fox Sports. He covers a lot of different sports for Fox. Uh, so I said if you don't have the best equipment, you still have as much of a chance as the guys in the in the really good equipment, that's because super speedways are really, uh, they're, they're unpredictable. And you have guys that just get into crashes that aren't their fault. They just get involved and they're out of the race. You look at Kyle Busch, who has been, you know, he's at the top right now. He's finished 20th or worse in the last three Daytona races. You look at Kevin Harvick, he's crashed out in three of the last four restricted plate races and it's, uh, Daytona and Talladega you know, super speedways like that, they are the restricted plate races. Look at Kyle Larson, no top five finishes in 18 restricted plate races outside of the top 10 in his last six. You look at Martin Truex Jr. He has 18 career wins, but none of them are in a restrictor plate track. So it's these, these guys, you know, they, they are in some of the best equipment in all of NASCAR, but you know, it's, it's not necessarily their fault that they struggle with restrictor plate tracks. Just, it's so unpredictable that it gives other guys a chance too. you look at uh, Brad Keselowski, he won the Coke Zero Sugar 400 in 2016. He's now failed to finish the last three Daytona races all because he got caught up in, in a crash. He's won four of the last 15 researcher play races, but he hasn't finished the last three Daytona races because he got involved in a crash. So it really gives anyone a shot to, to win here at, at Daytona, which is why it's so fun. And obviously for the, the casual NASCAR viewer, they're going at speeds over 200 miles an hour um, throughout most of the track. The, the crashes here are bigger um, than you'd see at a normal track just because the guys are always running so close to each other that if one guy turns, it's going to it's gonna mess up a lot of the field and it's going to get a lot of guys involved. There have been eight different winners in the last eight Coke Zero Sugar 400s. That's the, that's the race um, this week. That's what it's called, the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Eight different winners the last eight years um, at this race. Uh, Dale Jr., who of course, is now in the booth for NBC. He's the only repeat winner. Um, in the last ten Daytona races, uh, you look now at some some other statistics. Roush Fenway Racing, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, At most tracks, they don't have a shot, but they have won two of the last restricted play races. They're winless the previous 17, so that's that's what I'm talking about. These guys that maybe aren't good on other tracks, they have a shot to win on on these tracks. Um, it's it's funny. So you talk about Kyle Busch; he's actually lost this race twice on a last lap pass. Uh, which is the leader, of the most laps failed to finish five Coca-Cola or five Coke Zero Sugar 400 races, and that included Brad Keselowski last year. So there's a lot of intriguing stats. I definitely recommend checking them out on Chris Myers's website uh, if you'd like to to take a look. But that's what I'm talking about. A lot of these guys, you know, they if they don't have a shot on another track, this is this is it. This is their chance to to get into the playoffs. And as I said in a podcast uh, a while back, I think it was a few days ago on Monday the the playoff race there's a lot of spots open you, you look at the the standings right now as I as I try to get them open and that's why I'm stalling for <laughs> for time you look at the standings so you have Kyle Busch Kevin Harvick Joey Logano Martin Truex Jr Clint Boyer, and Austin Dillon there's six spots there are still ten spots left and nine races to go so this is a chance for someone in the top thirty in in the standings right now in the points if they get a win they're in. So this is a chance for the guys that aren't in great equipment. This is a chance for the guys like a Casey Kane, like a Bubba Wallace, like an A.J. Allmendinger, like a Jamie McMurray. Guys like that who are way far out in points that probably don't have a chance to win on, on another track um, over these final several weeks of the season. This is their chance to lock their spot in to the playoffs. If they win, they are guaranteed to be in. Um, even a guy like a Matt D. Benedetto, who right now is 30th in the standings, Um, he is, what would that be like 18 points ahead of Trevor Bain? If he wins this race, he's probably in the playoffs, which is really crazy to say because he's 30th right now in the standings, just 18 points ahead of Trevor Bain. But if he wins and stays above 30th in the standings, he's in and he has a chance to win this race because he's not in the, in the best equipment in that 32 car. But he, if he, he has as much of a chance as anyone to win the Daytona race, it's all just about luck and being in the right place. At the right time, that's what it is at these restricted play tracks, and that's what it'll be Saturday night at Daytona. But that's all I wanted to talk about in this episode of the Ryan Wells Sports Podcast. Uh, we will be back next Monday to talk about what's new in the world of sports. Just as a reminder, you can listen to this podcast on six different services. You can listen to it on Anchor. You can listen to it on Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Stitcher We're working on getting it on Spots such as Apple and more, so definitely stay tuned for that. Go to my Anchor page at anchor.fm slash Podcast to see all the services that my podcast is available on. You can also go to my website at RyanWaldus.com to see the latest blog posts that I do. Um, Not just necessarily about sports, uh, about anything really that comes to mind. You can keep up to date with my podcast. In the future, you can see my audio and video reels. You can learn a little bit about me if you were so inclined Uh, and just connect with me on social media if you are so inclined You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat whatever, it's just my name, at Ryan Wallace so definitely check it out, I'd love to connect and talk with you guys about uh, whatever sports or whatever, really, so I want to thank you for listening to the fifth episode of the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast, we are through the first full week of this podcast, I've had a lot of fun I hope you guys are enjoying it too, and I'll catch you guys again next week, thanks for listening, enjoy your weekend